Welcome to Career Chin Wax for the 21st Century. My name is Catherine Cunningham and I'm a career specialist who's worked with thousands of people by now. And so what I'm trying to do in this podcast series is tap into things that I've learned, things that I've come to understand over the years to help people better manage their careers and be happier at work. So I want to talk first about MBTI. I love it. It's my favourite work. And if I'm if I'm working with somebody who's not happy at work and they only have one hour to work with me, I always recommend MBTI because if you can uncover your hardwired preferences rather than learned behaviour or learned skills, you can use that information to decide what sort of work to do. So, for example, when I was at the bank, my spreadsheets were basically full of errors because I don't have natural attention to detail. Now, since then, I've learned attention to detail. Anybody who works with me on resumes gets pretty amazed at everything I spot. So, yes, I can have attention to detail, but do I want to be in a job all day where I have to absolutely focus on the task at hand and notice every slight little issue? I can tell you no. So where does it come from? I want to give you a little bit of theory before we start. I'm going to look at the four separate letters, M-B-T-I, one at a time, and that will help you understand it. And I'm going to start at the back. So the I stands for indicator. MBTI is not a test. So if you go online and do one of those free versions, it's pretty well a waste of time. It is only an indicator. As an accredited practitioner, I'm bound by the ethics to only ever deliver the assessment with the debrief. Many times people think when they do the assessment that they're, for example, an ENTP, and it's only when you properly explore hardwired preferences in the debrief that they may, for example, come to understand they're not an extrovert, that was learned behaviour, they're actually fundamentally an introvert. So it's an indicator, not a test. The next letter I want to look at is the T. The T stands for type. And there's two issues to look at here. The first one is there are 16 types or 16 possibilities. And that is both the strength and weakness of MBTI. The strength is, from a career perspective, when people get their profile, it's like this aha light bulb moment. Often the comment is, I cannot believe this is so right. The level of detail, however, means that they forget their profile. So if I rang somebody up a year later and said, look, what's your profile? They'll probably get it wrong. For our career purposes, that doesn't matter. All we're trying to do with MBTI is stop for a minute in time, have a think about hardwired preferences, and use that information to make career decisions. And the other aspect of type is it's not tray or trait theory. So many instruments will measure you on a continuum. They'll say you're more like this than a particular cohort or less like this. As soon as you do Myers-Briggs, you will notice that it essentially forces you into one camp or the other. Now, Myers-Briggs is based on Carl Jung's work, and apparently Carl Jung said, of course, none of us are 100% introvert or 100% extrovert, for example, but you will notice it essentially wants you to come down on one side versus the other. And the final letters are MB, and they stand for Myers-Briggs. And it was a mother-daughter combination. Catherine Briggs started in the 1920s, building on Carl Jung's work. He knew of her work. She was the first person who wanted to have a mainstream application of his work. 
So it was really the first time in the world that anybody tried to use personality preferences to help people make career decisions. Because before that, fundamentally, you did what your father did, because of course back then it was mainly men working. You did what your father did, or your career choices were extremely class-driven. Okay, let's move on to the label issue. Some people don't like MBTI because they think it labels them. Yes, it obviously does. A useful analogy, however, might be if you think about your favourite room in the house. So my favourite room in the house is my bedroom. I do a lot of work on my bed. It looks out on a garden. I love the connection with the garden. My least favourite room in the house is the laundry. If you look at MBTI, the bedroom is really where you are most comfortable, where you are most in the flow, in the zone. MBTI does not mean you don't change your behaviour. So yes, of course, I go into the laundry. I don't like the laundry. I find it quite soul-destroying, but I go into the laundry. And probably from a work point of view, the example would be me working on resumes and making sure I dot the I's and cross the T's. I don't really want to do that all day but I quite happily and skillfully go into that laundry. At a minimum, somebody talked to me about this a while ago, and it's always stuck with me. At a minimum, you could argue that those 16 types are just a description of behavior preferences, and that that's no different than the DSM-5, which is the uh, American Psychiatric Association's description of mental disorders. If you've ever looked at that, they will have a series of behaviors that they put underneath a label. The label might be, borderline personality disorder, and underneath they'll have a series of behaviours. So you could argue at a minimum MBTI is no different than that. It's a useful catch-all of behaviours that are put under a label. And finally, if you're really sceptical, there's a guy called Dr Dario Nardi, wonderful guy. I went to one of his conferences in Brisbane a few years ago. And since 2006, he's focused on hands-on brain research. He uses real-time EEG technology to establish the link between the parts of the brain that light up when somebody's in the zone or in the flow doing an activity that matches with their MBTI preferences. If you just Google him, he has lots of information, interesting content and videos. And at the moment, he's producing content for a new book and he's slowly releasing it on LinkedIn. I had a look at his work on ENTP, which is my profile, and I found it even more fascinating. So perhaps explore that as well. Let's get started. Today I'm going to talk about ESTJ, and if you wanted to sum them up, it's taking care of business. ESTJs like to organize projects, operations, procedures, and people, and then act to get things done. At their core, they live by a set of clear standards and beliefs. They make a systematic effort to follow these and expect the same of others. They value competence efficiency and results, and display them in their work and play. They work best in situations where clear, known problems can be solved with proven techniques. But let's go back to the basics. ESTJ consists of four letters, and I want to quickly and very superficially look at each of the four letters. It stands for extroverted, sensing, thinking, and judging. Extroverted indicates a person who is energised by time spent with others. Sensing are people who focus on facts and details rather than ideas and concepts. 
If you're a thinker, you make decisions based on analysis and reason rather than feelings and values. And if you're judging, you prefer to be planned and organised rather than spontaneous and flexible. If we look at statistics, they're a relatively common type. They're the fifth most common type. 6% of women, 11% of men. So 9% of the general population. ESTJs are more likely than other types to exhibit type A behaviour. Their personal values include health, financial security, achievement and prestige. They're amongst the top four types in college GPA and among the most likely to stay in college. And they're among types who are most satisfied with their work. They're commonly found in careers as engineers, financial managers and business owners. ESTJs are likely to be gregarious and enjoy interacting with people. They're logical, analytical and objectively critical. They're dedicated and committed. They're orderly, planned and scheduled. And they're systematic and pragmatic. Famous ENTJs include Colin Powell, Judge Judy, Dr Laura Schlesinger and George Washington. Now, of course, I'm interested in where each type finds career satisfaction. And there's a wonderful book by Teeger and Barron called Do What You Are. And in it, they talk about 10 circumstances at work that an ESTJ needs in order to be happy. I'm only going to look at five of them today. So career satisfaction means doing work that lets them work systematically, organizing facts, policies, or people, and use time and resources efficiently towards a logical conclusion. The work needs to be done in a friendly environment with hardworking and conscientious people who don't bring personal problems to work or share personal feelings. The work needs to be tangible and realistic in nature, and it needs to have practical applications and concrete results. It needs to be done in a stable and predictable environment, but one that's also filled with action and a variety of people, and it can be done with other people, enabling them to be in charge of themselves and others. What makes them attractive to others? There's a great group of MBTI aficionados on Quora, and this information comes from there. ESTJs are attractive to others because of their reliability, their sense of responsibility when it comes to their family and friends, their strong sense of honesty, integrity and hard work, their unwavering belief in the ability of themselves and others to achieve anything they want as long as they put enough hard and honest work in it, their tell-it-like-it-is attitude and their dedication to lending their loved ones a helping hand in practical ways at all costs even to their own detriment. There's another book I often refer to, and it's called Working Together by Isaacson and Behrens. It actually strays more into executive coaching rather than career issues, but I find it really interesting. So I'm going to go through and just pick out tiny elements of how they think an ESTJ would behave in the workplace. When it comes to the management style of an ESTJ, it's results-oriented, cooperative, authoritarian, and quite decisive. An ESTJ manager expects everyone to follow rules and standard operating procedures without question. Title, position, and hierarchies are important and are to be respected. They tend to manage themselves and the circumstances in a task-oriented, no-nonsense way. They are not the ones engaging in small talk. For them, efficiency is important and paying attention to anything that doesn't accomplish the task to be done is a waste. 
When it comes to their values, ESTJs support the preservation of time-tested values, beliefs and norms of life, which frequently translate into economics as a way of satisfying needs. They need to know that there is a tangible, worthwhile payoff in return for the effort they expend towards some achievement. Expect an ESTJ to energetically pursue a task, assignment or goal when there is a common benefit for everyone involved at the end of the line. ESTJs cannot stand dereliction of duty. Anyone not carrying their load and doing their share of expected work is looked down upon. When it comes to attitude, the basic attitude of ESTJs is one of fatalism. They tend to believe that things are what they are and that little can be done to change them and that people are well advised to accept their lot in life because that's the way it is. ESTJs rarely see the world in terms of grey. It's either black or white. When it comes to skills, ESTJs are typically both highly gifted and skilled at anything having to do with logistics. They are masterful in getting the right things in the right place, in the right quantity and the right quality at the right time and to the right people. It's useful to realise that ESTJs are doers, movers and shakers. They like to get things done as efficiently and economically as possible within known systems and procedures. Therefore, it is unrealistic and inappropriate to assume that ESTJs derive a great deal of joy from theory and abstract concepts. Their contribution is to make things work and work well. Given the opportunity, they are outstanding implementers. ESTJs are concrete and specific in their speech. They tend to provide specific, detailed and relevant information, especially about the steps involved in achieving specific success. What's their driving force? They have a high need for security and stability. In order to establish such a state of affairs, they will seek out the means to be in charge of their own destiny. Therefore, they are driven by opportunities to be responsible, accountable and to acquire the necessary authority to implement whatever they think is appropriate and fitting. They have a hunger for responsibility, leading them to take on more and more of it. They pride themselves on being accountable, and they are compelled to always do their duty and follow through on their often self-imposed responsibilities. When it comes to their energy direction, given these beliefs, values and attitudes, ESTJs direct their energy towards setting things right and meeting the standards set by those whom they respect and who have the authority and proper experience to determine the correct course of action. ESTJs direct unlimited amounts of energy towards accomplishment. They have little or no patience with interruptions and interferences preventing the organisation from living up to and attaining superior results. When it comes to their authority orientation, ESTJs expect the person in charge to be obeyed and not questioned. Authority is granted often over time and by title and tenure. When it comes to conflict resolution, ESTJs tend to confront those who do not conform to the rules, right or wrong. However, ESTJs may be put off by efforts to get to the source of the conflict, believing as they do that one should pull oneself up by one's bootstraps and get on with carrying out one's assigned duty. And finally, let's finish with their blind spots and pitfalls. ESTJs may focus so much of their thoughts and energies on the task to be accomplished that they may subordinate the human element to attaining their own ambitious goals and objectives. They may focus so much on systems, policies and regulations that they lose sight of the individuals and their needs. 
It's important to understand that an ESTJ is a person who takes great pride in supporting, nurturing, and developing organizational frameworks with the sole intent of achieving the best possible results. So, don't be surprised if procedures and predetermined processes themselves become so important to them that they may lose sight of the fundamental purpose of what these were installed for in the first place. As always, let's finish off with a bit of fun. Back to that Quora group of MBTI aficionados. They go through each of the 16 types and talk about how they think each type would behave if they liked you. So let's look at ESTJ. If an ESTJ likes you, they will be straightforward and probably just tell you they like you. They won't waste time playing games and being coy. You can expect them to try and help you in practical ways. They'll want to be of service to you and make your life easier. Expect them to remember the little details that make you smile, like your favourite drink, or the little things you do to make yourself comfortable. If they don't like you, you might catch them acting as if they're your boss, even if you don't work for them. Where to from here? I think it's really important to know your profile, both from a career point of view and a personal point of view. I wouldn't go and do a free course online. Um, I've got friends of mine who are convinced, for example, that they're extroverts and they're probably some of the most introverted people I've ever met. I think it's important that you do your assessment with a qualified MBTI specialist. I really like the MBTI Step 2 interpretive report because that will show up where your behaviour is different or when it isn't different, but I'm interested in when your behaviour is different to your preferences. And the example I use is attention to detail or I often talk about how I behave as a feeler because I was brought up such a strong Catholic, whereas really I'm the most analytical person in the world and I'm a clear thinker. And the people I work with, we use it to try and help them make better career decisions and or be happier in their current jobs, be happier at work. On a personal level, I find it immensely useful. And as I was reading the ESTJ profile, I could think about two of my very good friends who are ESTJs. I think when you understand other people's preferences, it allows you to respect them as well as understand them and hopefully like them. And in the complex world that we live in, it's something that's very important. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm doing a podcast every few weeks. I have promised that I will complete all of the 16 MBTI profiles. If you're interested in MBTI, on the website under the heading Infographics, there's a subheading called Personality, and you'll find your um, MBTI profile there in a beautiful infographic that sums up a lot of what we've spoken about today. I also do a regular mail-out. I've reduced it to once a month because by chance last time the mail-out was very delayed. I was in Europe and then Kim had COVID and I found the, the open rate was really high. So what I've concluded is, yes, you like keeping up to date with career issues, but perhaps not once a fortnight. So I, I do a monthly mail-out. It might be a blog, an infographic, a podcast or video. If you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website. You'll also find show notes about this episode on the website, which is careerconsult.com.au or else just email us admin at careerconsult.com.au and we'll get you signed up. Let's finish with my hashtag, hashtag why not be happy at work.